Well, hello, I'm here with Caitlin to talk about All My Apes Gone. And that is, in fact, the first story. So something's wrong with the NFTs. What could it be? I don't know. People don't seem to want their NFTs anymore for some reason. They spent millions of dollars on these NFTs, and suddenly they don't want them. Their prices dropped to basically being worthless, which we all knew going forward. These were gifts. These were JPEGs. And they weren't even JPEGs. They weren't even art. You were buying essentially URL to, to the image. I mean, it's it's so silly. Well, um, and I think you're looking at this wrong. If the NFT price has fallen to zero, it's time to buy. It can only go up. Oh, yes. That Well, that's true, too. Um, th this will be a very interesting case study. I'm sorry for eco economists and anthropologists looking at, at the NFT craze and the lack thereof. Because, I mean, most people looked at it and knew exactly that this was this was silly and a grift. Um, and now it has unfolded to be the, just that. And so the NFTs uh, that were sold for millions of dollars, 95% of which are now basically worth nothing. And so I'll throw the article up on the screen here. Let me um, figure out how to operate a computer. Ah, if, you, if you minimize a window, you can't see its buttons. I'm learning new stuff every day, Sam. <laughs> so... Um, Okay, so uh, here's here's the article right here. It's from Market Insider, and this is written by Phil Rosen, um, and essentially a a group of people. And this is a report by Dap Gramble, uh, looked at NFTs, um, and found that over ninety percent had a market cap of zero dollars. So basically, when I say they're worthless, I don't mean they're like worth ten bucks now. I mean they are worth zero dollars. Uh, you could basically you just give them away you were going to say something sam oh so you could buy a lot of them you can you can you you can technically buy thousands of nfts now because you wouldn't have to pay a, a cent for them you you look at this all wrong <laughs> the scott galloway and he said he made most of his money in distressed assets now this is as distressed as it gets well this is true this is true uh, now, whether or not the, the price will go up, I, th I think there will be a few NFTs that are going to wind up in history books, you know, like the Bored Apes, you know, as a weird thing of the 20, you know, the 2020s where everyone was trying to grift on, on, on you know, Web3 and, and all this stuff. I mean, it, that was, it was such a grift. I mean, and everyone knew it at the time. Well, you know, in the, in the same uh, era of investment, I just read, um, I just listened to the Pivot podcast and, you know, um, Murdoch just said he's going to retire and pass Fox on to his older son, Lachlan, who is also super conservative. But what she says is the younger kids don't like it and they're going to sell off Fox. And a bit of wild speculation is the logical thing is Elon Musk should buy Fox and then bring Tucker back and continue his right wing media empire with Twitter. So so there's another good investment for you. Yeah, Elon Musk yeah. made so much money. He totally made up all the money he blew buying Twitter. So he needs to blow his money buying something else stupid. So anyway. Wait, Elon Musk made his money back after buying oh, Twitter? Oh, yeah. Tesla went way up. Tesla just went up like crazy because they built a new supercomputer to, uh, to do AI. You know, when he signed that thing saying pause for six months, that was so he could start his own. And everyone, is his stock went up again. So... He made more money on Tesla to make up for all the money he threw away on Twitter. So let me get this straight. Elon Musk signed an agreement 
saying that all the companies should stop doing AI for six months only for him yes. to to make his own AI to oh, get yeah. ahead of the other companies. Absolutely, which is what most people said at the time. Wow. That's what he is. I mean, he's he's just a cynical, lying player like Trump. I mean, he's a... Yep. So, I mean, I think he, if he owned Fox, it would totally fit anyway. <laughs> but there's no evidence of that happening yet, but... Uh, I think that's what we can look forward to. All right. Well, anyway, I, I mean, I was amazed. Uh, so I got COVID. A whole bunch of my friends got COVID. And uh, now apparently it really is a huge outbreak. They say 2% of all the deaths in America a few weeks ago came from COVID. Uh, it's spreading like crazy. They're comparing it to the big peaks before. And let me get rid of this idiotic autoplay. Anyway, um, so pretty scary numbers. And the other thing is now they have the new COVID vaccine out there. A lot of people are rushing to get it. Not me, but because since I took the precaution of catching COVID recently, I think I'm not in a huge hurry to get the vaccine because I imagine I've got some immunity from that. And apparently they changed the billing code for the vaccine. So people are, vaccine is supposed to be free, but a bunch of people are getting charged like $200 for it because the insurance companies aren't processing it properly. So that's a cheerful thought. Anyway, I figure... Uh, in a few weeks, I'll get at that one. I can get my flu shot at the same time. Probably two, three weeks is the right best time to do that for me. But anyway, that's the joy of COVID. And uh, you've got more exciting Elon Musk news. You're on mute. You're still on mute. I do have interesting news about, about Musk. Uh, my browser, I just realized... Uh, or not in my browser, the, the webpage that I linked to in the articles has told me that I've run out of articles. And even if, even if I get rid of the annoying nag thing, it uh, doesn't load the full article. And I do want to read parts of it because it, it's very disturbing. Uh, so let's see if I go to how do I get a new, new private window. There you are, hacking past the paywall. Okay, so now we're past the paywall. Uh, can I put this back in here? Somehow? No, I can't. So, all right, we're going to share a browser, but we're going to share a different browser. Um, properties. Aha. Uh, there we go. Okay. So here we go. Now we, we've bypassed the uh, the paywall here. Okay, perfect. Um, so this is on Wired. Okay, this is the, it's talking about Neuralink um, and the Neuralink monkey. So, the, so, Elon and Neuralink are creating essentially brain chips, and there, and there's nothing necessarily like wrong with that. Um, you know, medical technology is is very important, and there are a lot of people that can benefit. When I heard about this ten years ago, I wanted to get one. Get the Google chip. Put Google right in your brain. It yeah. sounds awesome. Right. Exactly. I mean, ideally, you you would want this done by a not not a tech giant, but you know, just a, like a standard medical like Johnson and Johnson working on. On this, so you don't have to worry about you know streaming ads into your brain. Um, but of course, Elon wants to get it on this, um, and they've been doing tests on macaw monkeys, and a few of them died. And Elon, of course, said, "Oh well, you know they just died of natural causes, and you know it's just the natural course of life." Turns out, not so much. Uh, these monkeys were very uh, distressed uh, with the Neuralink implanted in them, um, so. If you go down, so unfortunately, they, they sort of buried the lead in this article. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, so here we go. So it starts out. So it's, uh, so I'm just going to read straight from the article. In an experimental surgery that took place in December of 2019, uh, performed to determine the survivability of an implant, an internal part of the device broke off while being implanted. They found the monkey uh, and called Animal 20 at UC Davis, uh, which emitted a bloody discharge and started yanking on the connector that eventually dislodged part of the device on the brain. Um, a surgery to repair the issue was carried out the following day, but fungal and bacterial infections took roots, and the monkey did not uh, survive and was euthanized on January 6, 2020. Uh, um, and let's see. Uh, and then there were other ones. There was a female uh, macaw named Animal 15. Um, so days after her implant, she began to press her head against the floor for no apparent reason. A uh, symptom of pain and infections, uh, the article says. The staff observed that though she was uncomfortable, she was picking and pulling at her implant until it bled. She would often lie at the foot of her cage, spending time holding hands with her roommate. Um, and then she began to lose coordination. Uh, she would shake un uncontrollably. Her, con her condition deteriorated uh, until they had to uh, euthanize her. Um, necroscopy report shows that she had bleeding on her brain and that the neural link implants that part of her cerebral cortex uh, focally tattered. Um, and then that's and and more. There's more of these stories as well uh, from the from the macaws. Uh, not only that, there were many side effects, uh, not just due to like bots or weird, you know, stuff like that, but just in general, like you know, uh, diarrhea, dizziness, headaches, that kind of stuff from having chips implanted on your brain. When who would have thought? Who would have thought? It just it just seems like this is the classic tech pro madness. They didn't get like a proper surgeon that knows how to do this. I mean, they've been planting stuff in brains for all kinds of diseases. Now the technology exists. These guys obviously just didn't even do it right. I mean, I don't. I'm that, that's there's nothing in the article that suggests that they they weren't using proper techniques. In fact, it, it sort of implies that this was done at UC Davis, which is a well known school for animal testing, animal research. I wonder I wonder why they're having so much trouble then, because this is common for people with epilepsy and, and visual defects and stuff. Yeah. They plant a thing on your brain. I've I've seen the research a lot. I mean, they've been doing this for a long time. I don't know why they're having such a big problem here. Maybe the gadget they're putting in is much bigger than usual or something. Maybe. I don't I don't know the specifics of Neuralink. Obviously, this is you know restricted intellectual property, so I don't, you know, have the full details. All I can tell you is what Wired is telling us and yeah. And not just Wired. This is by um, who is who wrote this article? Um, where? Oh, by Donnie. Oh, I can't, I'm so sorry. I can't read. I can't read this. It's way too small. Uh, Dhruv uh, Mirotra and Del Cameron. They wrote this article. So all I can tell you is what they wrote. Yeah. And I, I can't go into details about that. But it does not look good for these poor monkeys that were you know, had to be euthanized because of the Neuralink implants. Yeah, I heard some stories about that at the time. And I think, I guess their point is that Elon lied about the monkeys dying, but I'm surprised because they've been doing this kind of animal research for a while. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, after I heard that, I got less excited, just like going to Mars, getting one of those Neuralink implants. Both of these seem like really bad ideas right now. All right, and uh, so I... I was actually talking in another class about this last night, and I was amazed to see it came up today. They've, um, there's an article about analyzing the sun's corona. And I remember I learned about this many years ago. The corona is much hotter than the center of the sun, and nobody has ever really known why. 
it's crazy. There's the gas on the outside of the sun that's hotter than the center of the sun. And the explanation has been that it has something to do with the turbulent flow of the solar wind. And now they have verified that with a fun experiment where they got two um, space vehicles to work together, one from the European Space Agency and one from NASA, where one of them is flying close to the sun, flying through the corona, and the other is taking pictures from a distance so you can see what part of the corona it's going through. And by combining those two, they have verified that it is, in fact, turbulent fluid flow. And uh, turbulent fluid flow is amazing stuff. I mean, and there's a quote attributed to Heisenberg where he's dying, and he says, when I meet God, I'm going to ask him two questions. Why relativity and why turbulence? And I believe he will have an answer for the first. Because turbulent fluid flow is just mind-boggling, complicated, poorly understood. And uh, anyway, there was another... Uh, discovery in turbulence. Um, people made turbulence in a fluid. They may spun something around and watch the turbulent flow of the fluid. And the turbulence usually spreads out and hits the walls and dissipates. But they found that if you put it in an eight-sided container, it creates a contained ball of turbulence in the center and does not dissipate. So this is a new experimental paradigm to study turbulent fluid flow, which is a great mystery in science, trying to somehow boil this down to some reasonable amount of equations so you can understand it. Anyway, so those three things work together, making progress on understanding turbulence, which is another one of those mysterious things that I didn't expect to see much progress in in my lifetime. What I really want to know is what's up with the number one over 137? Oh, the fine structure constant. Yeah. Oh, that's what it's called? Yes. Well, it's one of the fundamental constants. In fact, it's one of like the four fundamental physical constants that define the universe. In fact, um, this is um, so fundamental I think it has to do with the balance between electromagnetism and the nuclear force, something like that. And so it's um, it's absolutely fundamental to life. And there are in your sort of cosmology people, they say, you know, there are people who try to understand why the universe has these four fundamental constants. Uh, there's that one and there's Heisenberg constant. There's like four, four constants that define the relative strength of the forces that create matter. And, and and interaction. And they have to have exactly these values or you couldn't have life. And so there is a hypothesis that these constants actually vary throughout the universe. There are regions with other values for these constants. And therefore, we live in the part of the universe where they have these values. That's one explanation. Other people try to understand how these come about. But basically what happens is you have the Big Bang. And in the early time of the Big Bang, the universe is a homogeneous ball of junk, all, all swirled together. And as it cools through spontaneous symmetry breaking, the fundamental forces condense out of this. And you, from an undifferentiated ball of hot matter, hot matter and energy all boiled together, you um, condense and then you dissolve into these four fundamental forces. And it's entirely possible that the actual values of those forces are kind of random. They have to do it the way the the universe cooled in the early stages of the Big Bang. But well, if that's the case, then they argue about how it could possibly achieve these values. But anyway, that's the fine structure constants, one of the fundamental constants of physics. All, all I know is it shows up when I'm doing a bunch of electromagnetic stuff. Oh, yes. All the time, and it has no units. It's just there. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that's, this is something, uh, if, you, if you do particle physics and cosmology, what they like to do is take the fundamental constants like the gravitational constant and the charge of the electron and combine them to create things with no dimensions at all now. And then those are the, like the golden mean, those, those are golden ratio. Those are the fundamental numbers that, that identify the kind of physical universe we live in. 
and so they, it's the balance of one force to another. Anyway, uh, so I still don't know why one over one thirty-seven just shows up all the time. Well, I can say this is actually a a big topic of research and speculation. They asked why why is this the number, and apparently, if it was different, nothing would be the way it is. Life and planets and stars and everything would not form the way they have. Okay. Anyway, um, so let's let's hear about post quantum cryptography. Yeah, so we're starting to see the rollout of post-quantum cryptography in our everyday applications. And to start this off is, of course, the Signal uh, application. And so Ars Technica has an article by one of our, our favorite authors, uh, Dan Gooden, who we've mentioned on this podcast many, many times before on when talking about Ars Technica articles. And uh, what's happening is that Signal is going to be moving over from elliptical, elliptical curve cryptography, which looks a little like this, um, where you have this elliptical curve and you sort of connect points, you know, to other points. And if if you know this, you know, the starting points and the ending points and you can go around this elliptical curve, but if you're missing some of that information, it's very hard to reverse it. Um, which is where the cryptography comes from. And this is a gross, oversimpli gross oversimplification, um, but I'm sure our readers don't, our, our viewers, our listeners don't want a, a giant discussion into uh, cryptographic uh, technologies. But needless to say, um, this will get, elliptical curve crypt cryptography will not survive the uh, upcoming quantum revolution, which will happen any day now, I'm sure. Um, uh, so in comes the crystals protocols in particular, um, it looks like Signals is going to be using the Crystals Kyber protocol um, or algorithm, I should say, to do its post-quantum, uh, you know, algorithmic uh, encryption. Uh, so we're seeing this rolled out, and I think Google, yeah, Google is going to start throwing in um, uh, Crystals uh, Dilithium into some of their products pretty soon. So we're, we're starting to see the rollout of post-quantum cryptography in consumer products. Yeah. And and one thing about it that I think is interesting is they have uh, chosen to name the algorithms after things from Star Trek and Star Wars. Oh, oh, of course. I mean, if you're going to name things crystals, you you have to talk about the two most famous crystals of all, which is Kyber crystals, which are what go into lightsabers, and oh. dilithium crystals, which are what go into warp core engines. To yeah, yeah. to actually, so so a lot of people. So in Star Trek, dilithium does not power the warp core. Dilithium mediates the reactions within the warp core. The warp core is actually matter-antimatter um, reactions. Anyway, I, that's how big of a nerd I am. I know how these fictional crystals work. Well, you know, I'm, I haven't learned those new protocols, but I did learn a new hope about five years ago. That was the Google post-quantum algorithm. And I actually got was writing a hands-on project that for my cryptography students, and then it got broken, which surprised me. Google's proposal for post-quantum cryptography failed after looking really good for the first few years. And so they settled on the crystals, Kyber and such, and I have to learn these new ones and write projects and edit my cryptography course, and I haven't done that yet. I've been distracted by machine learning and Splunk SOAR, which are gonna have to go first. But anyway, there's lots yeah. of fun tech to learn. Yeah, you know, in the future, all the 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 military level encryption that we do nowadays will be as trivial to crack as the, you know, Caesar cipher. You know, I don't think so. I don't think AES will become crackable. You don't think even by even by um, quantum computers? 
No, I went to the Cloudflare Summit and they had the cryptographers in Berkeley there and they explained there is a known algorithm to attack all the public key systems, um, the Shore algorithm that will crack RSA and related ones. So all our current public key systems are going to go down, but the private key systems like AES, all that's going to happen is the only quantum algorithm that cracks AES isn't as efficient. What it does is it lets you try two to the 128 keys and only two to the 64 operations. So AES-128 will be cracked, but if you go to AES-256, it will still be impossible to crack, even with quantum computers. So the private encryption is probably going to remain safe into the foreseeable future. It's the public key encryption that's going to fall. And realistically, that was always pretty shaky. I mean, it came out in 79, like everybody else, I jumped on it immediately. And it is just kind of crazy black magic. It's we all kind of, every time, right from the beginning, when you learn public keys, you say, you know, somebody could find a way to factor prime numbers, and then this wouldn't work anymore. And totally, this is the point, somebody found a way to factor prime numbers, which blows it all to hell. But only if quantum computers get a lot better, which I, the best estimate I saw in these articles is they say, uh, experts project that this will be uh, either five years or forever in the future, which I'd say that's a fair statement. I'm guessing at least 20 to 30 years before the quantum computers can do this and very likely never because they have to solve some really big problems to get good enough to crack real prime numbers of the kind that matter. Yeah, yeah and computers are famously very slow to develop. Well, you know, the <laughs> problem is you have to get the noise out of it. So it's a, it's a hardware problem and... Uh, it's unclear if they can find the right hardware to get as good as they have, but you never know. I mean, right. So anyway, and especially it's hard to predict how long it'll take. Uh, that's true. Anyway, um, I I have a couple AI articles that caught my eye. Um, Microsoft announced a bunch of AI built into Windows 11, and they also announced that GitHub Copilot is now available for anybody for $10 a month. I haven't paid for it yet, but I am tempted because... Having an AI help you write your code seems like a good idea. I've begun asking Bard to write my code, and it's useful. And um, Google has also built into Bard a fact checker, which I have to play with because I've been actually using Bard, and Bard tells you a lot of garbage, especially about mathematics. Um, Mm -hmm. It's amazingly wrong about things like the density of primes and stuff like that. And now, supposedly, it will tell you, have buttons you can click to automatically do an old-fashioned Google search to verify things. And they're trying to add a layer of of fact checking into the system, which it sorely needs. So, so, so one of the things I can discuss now, um, being at Amazon, is that earlier this week it was unveiled that Alexa will have some new features where AI will be integrated into Alexa. I saw that. And, yes, um, this is something that I've I've been working on myself. Um, and one of the integrations that makes Alexa so fantastic is that it will make API calls. So if you ask it to do math, it will actually give you the correct number. Why would it's going to do an API call to Wolfram Alpha or something? I mean, why would that make it uh, more accurate? Uh, normally, when you do a LLM, you know, it's just only looking for the most probable word to come next. It's not actually doing the math. Yeah. So if you ask it, you know, what's seven times six, you know, it, it you know, will we'll come out with, with some it's not going to tell you 42. It's going to tell you, you know, it's something. It might tell you it's 42. It might tell you something else. But right. it tries to process it as an English sentence. It doesn't right. understand that it's a math problem. Right, exactly. And so what makes Alexa so advanced is that it will try to suss out 
what kind of problem is being asked, whether it's asking for like local weather or asking for like a math problem and then treat it like such and make the, the constant and make the subsequent API calls that are necessary. Well, that, I would like to see more about that because that implies some pre-processing that categorized the question and saw, actually understand what you're saying. And that right. is completely different than LLMs who right. don't have any clue what they're saying. They might as well be speaking a language they don't speak. They're just looking for a mathematical pattern in the words. Correct. Uh, and like, like I said, you know, Amazon has been full in on, on getting this LLM integrated with Alexa. And it's, it's, I, I'm, I've been honestly pretty, very impressed with what Amazon has been able to do. Oh, well, good. Uh, let me know when I can get one and play with it. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to see the processing that implies a whole layer of like old fashioned code before you get into the machine learning, I guess. You won't be able to see the code. Everything is still being streamed up to Amazon servers. Um, but oh, it's, oh, it doesn't do the processing locally. It does not. No. Um, so one, one of the big, one of the important aspects of um, chatting with like Alexa is that it's going to be more natural. So one of the other big issues with LLMs as they were when they came out was that you would ask it a question and then you might wait like a minute for a response or 30 seconds yeah. um, with one, one of the obstacles that Amazon figured out was how to get the LLMs to respond almost instantaneously. So now you can have an actual conversation with your with your Alexa, which I know everyone was very excited because we all just want to have long discussions about philosophy with our Alexis. Well, you know, this is what Captain Kirk had, right? Computer, do this, computer, do that, and it understands yeah. and answers him. That is what you want, right? You yeah. don't want a keyboard or mouse or anything. You should just yeah. say, you know, find this information, tell me. I think I think that is what we want. If you could just ask a computer the way you would ask a human, uh, please look this up for me and tell me the answer, that would be great. Yep, and it's coming. It's it's. I'm I'm not going to claim that it's perfect. Obviously, all technology requires, you know, refinement. But um, I've you know things are coming along, and and we're getting to the point where chatbots are going to be able to, you know, relatively pass the the Turing test, even if they're not sentient. Oh well, uh, reportedly LLMs have been passing the Turing test for several years now, and they say yeah. the uh, philosophers have said the Turing test is no longer considered a good test for human cognition for that reason. Uh, right. In fact, there was a, I listened to philosophize this and the guy said, there's a test where someone hypothesized about 10 years ago, a philosopher said, you know, even if you didn't speak Chinese, someone could be passing you notes under the door and you could be looking up answers in a book of Chinese phrases and just copying them and sending them back and you would pass the Turing test. And he actually did that with a human that didn't speak Chinese, looking things up in a book and showed that you can pass the Turing test without having any clue what's going on before the real LMs. And this, that's when they began to realize the Turing test is not really a good measure of human cognition. And they're trying to make another one. So I mean, as we try to decide whether we have artificial general intelligence or not, we have to face the fact that we don't actually understand what human intelligence or human consciousness are in the first place. So how do we know if a machine has it? You have to work on defining your terms better. Right, and one of the one of the nice things about machine learning and artificial intelligence research is that we're not only making smarter, more useful computers; we're also learning about ourselves and how our own brains work. Yeah, yeah, and you could say that the whole thing about disinformation uh, and social media and everything is that we're actually learning how human societies work and how human culture work. We're we're doing experiments, uh, whether we like it or not, on 
changing the kind of the ways people relate to each other and get information and seeing what the consequences are of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you could argue that all we ever do is learn about ourselves. Anyway. Um, well, I think that's it for this one. And we'll have another one on Tuesday. <laughs>